Hello, this is Don McPherson, your host of 12 Geniuses. I have the incredible job of interviewing geniuses from around the world about the trend shaping the way we live and work. Today, we are talking about the power of purpose with Richard Leiter. Richard has authored or co-authored 11 books on the topic of purpose. In this conversation, we discuss why the pandemic has exposed a yearning for purpose in the lives of so many people. The great resignation, or the great reimagining as Richard calls it, has been an outcome of this realization. We also talk about how knowing and living one's purpose builds resilience, generates positive well-being results, and superior performance at work. My conversation with Richard is a must for anyone struggling to find their purpose at work or in life, and for leaders who want to build a purpose-driven organization. Richard, welcome to 12 Geniuses. Thank you. Privileged to be on. Let's start out by talking about your background. Can you tell us where you got educated and how you became interested in the topic of purpose? Well, I got educated in two different places in the psychology and counseling psychology. And after graduating from University of Northern Colorado in counseling psychology, it was during the Vietnam era and they tried to get me out of school to draft me, et cetera. So Eventually, I got a job and got into an Army Reserve unit, and it was a psychological operations reserve unit. But I got a job in what was then personnel and is now HR. And while I was doing that work, I had a, what it's called now a side hustle. And my side hustle was called Lunch Hour Limited. And Lunch Hour Limited is just like it sounds. If you buy me lunch, I coach you. Because HR was the way I was making a living. But my real calling was in coaching or counseling or helping people with their lives and their their careers. And along the way, two other things. I got a Bush Fellowship to study purpose in life. And it's the longest standing study of adult development. It's housed in the Harvard Business School. But I used my Bush Fellowship as an apprentice to that program, which is still going on. It's been 80 some years of progressive study. And the other thing that I think is important for your listeners is that along the way, I had fortuitous encounters with people who changed the game for me in my own perspective. And right out of graduate school, I spent a week with Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. And I consider him kind of the godfather of purpose and meaning and things like that and, and uh, learned a lot, a lot about, I had actually studied him, but from him directly really learned about choice that the ultimate human freedom is to choose what you want your life and your work and your next moment to be about. And so we can talk more about that, but that's kind of a little bit of a background in uh, a quick thumbnail of how I got here. I created my own company, wrote my first book in 1978 called The Inventurers, and my company is Inventure, the purpose company, and here we are today. In what year did you meet Viktor Frankl? 68. Yeah. Okay. The... Uh... The most important book that I've ever read is Man's Search for a Meaning. Yeah. And it's the the book that I've given away most frequently. I yeah. you know, typically have 100 copies at home. And when I meet somebody, I yeah. talk with them and, and I give that book away. And, and the quote that you mentioned is the last of human freedoms or anything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of human freedoms, the freedoms to choose one's own way in any given circumstance. Right. And I didn't learn that until I was 30. And what that meant to me, so that that particular quote in his book, what that meant to me is that I get to choose if I'm going to be happy or not. I talk about purpose with a big P and purpose with a little P. 
And, you know, I gleaned that. He didn't talk about it that way, but purpose with a big P is kind of a noble purpose. And, you know, it's a cause or something that you dedicate your life to, maybe. Purpose of the small P is the day-to-day choice like this that you make to make a difference in the world or another person's life or even just the will to live yourself. And so my purpose with the big P is to help others unlock the power of purpose. My purpose with the little P is every single day to make a difference in one human being's life. And Frankel talked about giving others in the concentration camp a kind word, a crust of bread, hope, a hug, you know, something. And he said some people did that and others didn't. And those that did tended, you know, to do better and live longer and survive perhaps the, the uh, concentration camp experience. So whenever I talk about big P, little P purpose, Don, I get a big sigh from the audience because they many times thought it was the big P and that, you know, someday when they had enough money or they retired or they got enough of something, they would get at it. But as you and I know, purpose is not a luxury. It's fundamental to health, to healing, to happiness, and ultimately even to longevity and certainly to productivity and leadership. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I heard you talk about Dr. I think at Johns Hopkins, yeah. Majid Fatur. Yeah, Majid Fatur, yeah. So, so can you talk about some of those very positive benefits that there are for individuals who know and pursue their purpose? Well, I did a PBS special it was shown in hundreds of cities across the country. And part of my training, thanks to PBS for that, was to visit neuroscience labs across the country. They were measuring purpose in Alzheimer's, purpose in heart disease, purpose in longevity. And, and they now can measure in the brain as well as other aspects of the body, those that have that attitude of purpose and those that don't. For example, Alzheimer's. It doesn't cure Alzheimer's, but it brings a quality of life when you have a reason to get up in the morning and you extend yourself to others. That people, even with the, you know, when they do plaques, when they study the, uh, uh, the plaques and tangles of someone's deceased with Alzheimer's, they'll say one person had a high quality of life with the same plaques and tangles as somebody who was did not have that high quality of, of life. And another example is uh, I, I uh, taught a program with uh, some people who wrote the book, The Telomere Effect. And the telomere on the end of every chromosome in your body is a little telomere. And Elizabeth Blackburn won the Nobel Prize for the telomere effect. And what she discovered was that in addition to the obvious of healthy living and sleeping and all the things that you, you need to do to live a healthy life, telomeres grew or stayed healthy if there was purpose. I didn't even know that telomeres could grow. I thought they could only shrink or stay the same. And that, and it, and that is a fundamental element to aging, correct? correct. Is uh, telomeres that, and, that and shrink. And aging as well as other diseases. I mean, it's one of those that they're still learning about all the time. But the point is that when we say it's, it's you know, with the measurements that are going on the University of Wisconsin with Richie Davis, who studies mindfulness and well-being, they and ultimately resilience, like during the pandemic, they find people who have resilience, post-traumatic growth even, are people who have purpose. And purpose is a central element to well-being in addition to 
mindfulness and compassion and you know some of the other things that they that they also sort of so, the quote unquote softer things that they measure. You know, another thing that comes to mind is this concept of quality versus quantity. And we as Americans, but all around the world, we have really got good at living longer lives. I think the life expectancy was late 40s, 120 years ago, and now it's closing in on 80. So we've added almost another lifetime to our lifetimes, but we've not necessarily gotten better at living high quality lives. And it seems like having this sense of purpose is the clear cut way of having a quality life. Yeah. My new book, I'm on a book tour right now. My new book is, is about that very topic. It's about aging. You know, when you're growing up, the question always was what you want to be when you grow up. This book, is titled Who You Want to Be When You Grow Old, The Path of Purposeful Aging. And what we know is that everybody's getting older, as you point out, but not everybody is growing older. So if we don't keep growing in those three or four decades that we've added, we tend to decline. We don't do as well. And what does it mean to grow? Well, purpose is part of growing. You know, the universal purpose is to grow and give. So every single day, how are your listeners growing and giving? That's the small P purpose. There's someone I call a mentor. I've only talked with him a couple of times. Uh, We've never met, but he has been influential on my life in a number of different ways. And we email back and forth. He's 84 years old. He's a retired basketball coach. I just email him every now and again, and I say, what are you reading? What are you learning about? He, he's in his is almost mid-80s, and he is reading this book called uh, Future You. And I just love that yeah. he's thinking about his future and how he's going to grow and develop. And I, I have great admiration for that. We don't know if it's going to be five years, if it's going to be 20 if it's going to be 25 years, but it's a, it's a great way to approach life. Well, the other one that I met shortly after Frankel, just before he died, was Abraham Maslow. And Maslow and Frankel had an uneasy uh, relationship because Frankel thought self-actualization was not the top of the pyramid. And that after Maslow, or just before Maslow died, they came together and agreed that the top of the Maslow hierarchy of needs is self-transcendence. It's self-actualization for the sake of something beyond yourself. And so a lot of, and uh, after he died, his wife took all his work and created a book called The Farther Reaches of Human Nature, which documented that they had come to agreement that, so so many leadership programs have self-actualization as the kind kind of the top of the pyramid, and it actually isn't. Self-transcendence is really self-actualization for the sake of what? For the sake of your impact on others. That makes a lot more sense to me. I've heard you talk about that in the past, and I didn't didn't think about self-actualization being so selfish, but certainly self-transcendence is selfless. And it thinks about the the greater body, humanity being one being, that sort of thing, which is far more appealing to me. Yeah, the pandemic has really raised the existential question for so many people. What what on earth am I here for? And when we look at what on earth am I here for, everyone listening has to come to their own conclusion. My conclusion and the conclusion of the studies I've done is to be of service. And that's what leadership's all about. You could call it servant leadership or not, but to, to be of service means to serve the 
common good or the greater good beyond yourself. We'll jump into leadership in a moment, but before we do, how does one go about finding their calling? Well, finding your calling has a pattern. I say, Don, everybody's an experiment of one. Everyone has to do it their own way. There's not a universal, although grow and give, I, I say, is kind of a universal. But it's a, the formula or the pattern is gifts plus passions plus values equals calling. And calling is another more vocational word for purpose. So if you're using your most loved, most enjoyed gifts on things you feel curious, purposeful, or passionate about, P, in an environment where you have a voice, where, you, where it's a good fit for you, then that equals your, your calling. And there's a pretty good chance you're going to be wanting to get up in the morning and go do that, and you'll probably do it pretty well, and you'll probably continue to grow. And I used to teach all the time with, with the late um, Stephen Covey. And uh, Covey, just before he died, came out with, those who don't know, he wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It was, you know, universal bestseller across the planet. And, but his eighth book was called The Eighth Habit. And The Eighth Habit is basically about what I just talked about. And that is using, uh, discerning your own gifts and helping others do the same. He said that ha that's the bottom line of all the other seven habits. Those are all in the service of the eighth habit to help you discern your gifts and help others do the same. And the eighth habit is a big, big book with a lot of examples in it, but it hasn't been read because most people just, uh, he died and he wasn't out there with it that, that long. So, uh, but it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's exactly what we're talking about here. So are you using your most enjoyed gifts on things you feel purposeful or passionate about in environments where you have a voice that's a good fit for you and your values. That's the way into discern, uh, unlocking the power of purpose. And what's the leader's role in helping people identify their gifts, their passions, their values, so they can reach their purpose? Well, a starting point, like Carl Jung says, the greatest damage you can do to others is your own unlived life. <laughs> I, I see that a lot in youth sports. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you would agree with that or not. So the starting point is to be your message, so to speak, and then help others unlock, starting with their gifts. There's a lot of tools out there. I've created one called Calling Cards. And I find that, that, that so many people did not get much guidance on kind of the inner life of gifts, passions, and values. More of it was, you know, do this, go to law school, go to medical school, go to business school, go, and it'll all work out at some point. But um, then you get into midlife and you, just, you recognize you're not enjoying it as much, you're not as fulfilled, or you have, you know, we're Sometimes we're pushed by pain. Sometimes we're pulled by possibilities. Then we dig in and say, so what's the exercise about here? And we look at that. So leaders, three questions that I have found are essential to a great leader today. What do you stand for? What won't you stand for? And who do you stand with? And the starting point of what do you stand for is some sense of what it is in your leadership that matters that you're going to help others get better at or do better at. If you're going to coach them, what are you going to coach them about? And uh, so gifts, passions, and values. What, we, what if we had an organization in teams where, where everybody hypothetically was, use, was turned on to using their gifts, passions, and values? That would be a 
an organization in what they call flow, you know, where there's real energy and there's real passion for what for what's going on. Can that always happen? No. Yeah. But the mo one of the most dangerous questions, Don, as you know, is, well, what do you do? You're not what you do. You're who you bring to what you do. So I'm not a box on your chart. I'm a person who's bringing all this here. Can you help me uh, activate that? And um, one of the big breakthroughs for me around purpose was that action precedes clarity. When we start acting purposefully, we, we get clarity about purpose. When we get up every day and do something purposeful, there's a felt sense of it, that there's real energy in this, and there's real productivity in this, and creativity, and, and, and all of that. So action precedes clarity, and so great leaders help with the action, but it's action towards both the individual's purpose and the organization's purpose. So how would you define a purpose-driven leader? Well, a purpose-driven leader is clear about that the aim of the organization is not just the bottom line, that the aim of the organization is to make a difference in the customer, the members uh, out there, and, and, uh, and to keep their eye on, on that. And they're trusted because they listen. They, they, they listen to their own gifts, passions, and values in those of, of, and help bring those out in, in others. And I know that uh, organizations I work with now, but research I've done in the past where I would uh, watch a leader talk to a new group of or an orientation group in their organization and i and they failed so often because it was all about themselves they thought that these people were really interested about in them and they were up to a certain point they wanted to know what do you stand for what won't you stand for who do you stand with but they really want to know who are you what what are you all about how can i you know do i trust you and so oftentimes people failed and I would coach them and they, and they just couldn't, you know, eventually they would, they would get that. But, uh, you know, I think a purpose driven leader is, is one who lives with that kind of mindset. What do you say to someone who says purpose is a luxury? Well, I mean, I said, well, if you don't think you have a purpose, then you don't because you're not going to activate it. You're not going to bring action, action to it. But, I try to say that, you know, the facts and my the third edition of my book, The Power of Purpose, was can science explain purpose? And both science and faith agree on purpose being fundamental. It's not one or, or, or the other, but you start to look at health and well-being and fundamental. You start to look at leaders that are trusted, purpose is fundamental. You start to look at aging, people live longer. I mean, the facts are in, you know, every new idea Don goes through, as the philosopher Schopenhauer said, three stages. First is ridicule. That's, you know, it's a luxury type of thing. Second is opposition. Well, I don't really believe this until there's evidence. Now there's plenty of, increasingly plenty of, of, of evidence. And, uh, and the third thing is it's self-evident. Well, I think it's self-evident and uh, purpose is age agnostic. I find as many people who are young are interested in working in purpose, you know, want their life to matter and work in purposeful places as midlife people who are relooking at some crisis, perhaps, or something in their life, the older people. And so it's, it's uh, age agnostic. And I learned this when I did the PBS special 
whole, and I had to go out to six cities afterwards, after it was viewed in uh, TV, and whole families would show up. And I would say, what are you doing here? And they said, well, we're all at a what's next moment. We all are all try, trying to figure out how to live purposeful lives. So we had the grandparents, the parents, the kids, and sometimes the grandkids. And so, um, you know, I, I think sometimes it takes a crisis for people to really look at what, what matters. And um, I know one other thing I would say about that, Don, is that I've been interviewing people over the age of 60 for many, many years, asking them if they could live their life over. And 100% of the people want, you know, they say they'd be more, if they could live their life over, they'd be more reflective. They'd take more risks in work and relationships. And third, they would, they would earlier in life understood what really gave them joy and fulfillment was their relationships, their connectivity with others. And that connectivity comes from not just being a nice person, but from really being engaged with these people, getting who they were, reinforcing that, and um, et cetera. Yeah, there's, I have a lot of comments. The, the first comment I have is the big P versus little P. And when you understand that, it makes it demystifies purpose yeah. for me. Because I think about the big P being Bill Gates is going to eradicate polio and combat climate yeah. change. Well, okay. I'm not. I, I, that's a luxury, yeah. right? He's a 10 times multi-billionaire, just yeah, yeah. You know, ridiculous wealth, and, and he can pursue that. But when you break down what little P is, and I can do that today, it's an action that yeah. I can. 1,440 purpose moments in a day. What, what does that mean? I've heard you say that before. Well, if, if you take kind of... sleep out of it, it would be less. But there are 1,440 minutes in a day. So every minute is a chance to, like Bronco would say, to make a difference in that moment in, in certain ways. And one of the other things that fortuitous encounters for me is a lot of people talk today about how stressed they are, how overwhelmed they are, et cetera. And the guy who coined the term stress is a, a recently deceased neurologist named Hans Selye. He was actually not studying stress. He was studying eustress, spelled E-U-S-T-R-E. Eustress is positive stress. What gives us energy, what gives us aliveness, what keeps us alive he was actually a, a student, and Frankel was involved with him in you stress is the positive that comes from purpose. Yeah, you can't grow without stress, yeah. right? You right. go to the gym and you're breaking down your muscles. Right. So to enable them to grow back, you talked about resilience much earlier. Right. You know, you you can't. No Navy SEAL is is walking into the first day of training without having put their bodies right. through incredible levels of stress right. to to try to, you know, make it through through, through training. So yep. yes, it's just the, and that's why grow and give go together. The the American essayist E. B. White said, "I arise in the morning, torn between a desire to save the world and a desire to savor the world." This makes it hard to plan the day. <laughs> well, saving means growing and giving. It doesn't mean saving the world per se. We all want to savor. We all want a life that has joy and fulfillment and health and well-being in it. But it's if we're if it's just about savoring, think about retirees who are just savor, savor, savor. They're they it doesn't last long and they don't last long. I read a book by Tony Shea. I'm not sure if you 
know who he I is do. or he he was ceo of uh zappos for quite a while and he unfortunately passed away yep. a few years ago he's a young guy yep. but he kind of broke down uh three levels and three p's he talked about pleasure passion and purpose and i thought this was really a really good way of looking at things and i knew people who never could get beyond pleasure yep. they like to drink they like to yep. eat and you know that they just uh found great enjoyment out of that but then eventually that gets old or you become addicted or bad things can happen and then there are people who move on to passions you know they're passionate about a football team or passionate about a, a lover or partner things like that but then that fades as well but purpose uh, energizes you and i thought oh, this is a great way of looking well frankel in vienna was a part of a brain trust, if you will, of uh, Freud and Adler, Jung and himself, et cetera. And, you know, Freud was all about the will to pleasure. Adler was all about the will to power. And Frankel was all about the will to meaning. And he said, people are meaning seeking, mattering matters. And, uh, you know, in medicine, because I, I work a lot in healthcare, et cetera, and do different programs and question of healthcare is what's the matter with you? Well, the flip side of that is what matters to you. And if, uh, it's not going to be long until doctors, I find from even discussions at United Health Group or Mayo Clinic or Johns Hopkins, they're going to say what matters to you is an important part of our prescription for you. You need to figure that out. Yeah. Every, every person over the age of 70, I know who's living a vital life yeah has a purpose there's there's no doubt about it and then you can see the ones who don't and they're well i'm 70 77 and one of the words that you need to delete and get out of your push the pause button push it push the delete button on is the word still oh richard you're still whatever writing speaking doing a podcast with don mcpherson doing a you know and it's like well, who gets to write the rules for a long life you know, those that's looking in the rearview mirror in, in certain ways. And so the chapter in my new book that gets the most attention is how do I stop living a default life? So, so many people are living a default life that maybe was OK at one point, but now it's a default, meaning that they, would, they don't re really choose it. They're on automatic. How do they get out of that and start living the good life or their version of the good life rather so I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask you about it. What advice do you have for someone who's, who is stuck outside their purpose? And, and I'll bring this back to 2009, 2010. I was an entrepreneur at the time. And I had hundreds of meetings with people who were stuck. Yeah. People who in their 40s, maybe a family had made a nice living working for a corporate job. But they saw what I was doing, being a company owner. And they just couldn't move. Yeah. They they couldn't get out of that allure of working for a corporation, that safety. Right. So how do you get them unstuck? Yeah. And I, I would tell them, if you want to start your own business, one, how confident are you in you? Yeah. Two, how much money do you really need? And right. can you, you know, are you going to be able to find it? And three, can you sell? Those were the questions right. that I asked, but you would ask. Excellent questions. And I, uh, I co-authored a book called Life Reimagined. It's a bestseller. 
And uh, the guy who I co-authored it with was the editor of the Harvard Business Review. And then he left to be to found, to become an entrepreneur, to found Fast Company Magazine, which became uh, the hi highest grossing ma business magazine in history in the U.S. He sold that after 12 years. He's now just won his second term as mayor of Santa Fe, New Mexico. So he's my co-author. So he's an example of somebody who wasn't stuck, but got unstuck along the way. But in Life Reimagined, we have six steps to getting unstuck, so to speak. And the steps are, first of all, reflect, you know, the, like your questions. Second of all, connect with a sounding board. Connect with people you can talk through this with, like they would talk with you. But, uh, you know, the, the, not only that they could talk, but the, the sounding board would also hold them accountable for doing something with their. And the third step uh, after reflect and connect is explore. Go out there and do your homework. You know, don't just sit and reflect about it and connect. Open doors and see what wants to happen by just going out and talking, as you said, to other entrepreneurs. And the fourth is to choose. Decide one door that you're going to experiment with and take a deeper dive into. And then the fifth step is to repack. You know, it's another one of my books, Repacking Your Bags for the Good Life. But repack means what do you need to let go of? In terms of you know your work in the big corporation or financials or time, you know there's no free lunch. You have to do certain unpacking and repacking to get there. And finally, act. What's the first step you can take today and tomorrow and the next day? <clears throat> Those six steps are ways to to uh, get unstuck. Yeah, a, a comment on this idea of still. Uh, you you mentioned it before. You're still doing this. You're still doing that. Yep. And I just uh, thought the 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 word "still" is really interesting because there's nothing still about you. <laughs> you know, there's activity. Like I, I I've known you a couple of years, and I've known of yep. you for for decades. Yep. But there's an activity in in you, and um, so I I never think of you as being still. <laughs> well, and what uh, drives a lot of this is curiosity. Curiosity about yourself, curiosity about the world, curiosity about what's possible, uh, what the possibilities are in, in certain ways. And I know that I, I we, you and I have talked about this before, I think, but I had a conversation with the founder of TED, Richard Saul Warman. We were backstage in the green room and we were both going to speak to a large audience on the East Coast. And he said, what are you going to talk about? And I said, purpose. And he kind of Richard Saul Warman's kind of a curmudgeon in my point. He's older than me by 10 years. And uh, he said, well, young man, what are you going to talk about? I mean, and I said purpose. And I said, well, what are you going to talk about? He said curiosity. Don't you think that curiosity is what really ignites people getting stuff done and, and purpose? And he said, Ted was based on my own, his own personal curiosity about, he's an architect, about technology, entertainment, and design and how they all come together in these new models of entrepreneurship and other things, innovation and things like that. And he said, so TED was founded on curiosity, and every year billions of people are curious enough to download a TED Talk or go to one or do one. And so I think curiosity is really um, it's hard to ignite curiosity in people. If they're not that curious, I hate to go to a, any kind of a social event and sit next to a former anything. 
<laughs> what are you it? curious about now? What are you passionate yeah. about? What are you yeah. thinking about? Well, you know, I used to be a da da da. Now I play golf or I do, you know, whatever. And it's okay, but I said, you know, I'm out of here. <laughs> I, I don't think people give themselves permission to do some of these things, to be curious yeah. or to, yeah, I think, I think you know this and you've, you've heard people do this, like what, what do other people need to change? Yeah. <laughs> and then what do I need to change? Well, I don't need to change anything, but well, let me tell you, I get a long list of things that others need to change. Right. So purpose is a, a verb. It's an action. It's a path. It's a mindset that you choose what you want your life to be you know, like Frankel says, say yes to life. And it's a practice. We're, and great leaders, great parents, great coaches are only as good as their practices. And so we're always practicing something. Is it getting us what we want? And so part of the purpose path that you asked about earlier is to get on the path, to choose that there is a path and to get on it, and then to create certain practices, one of which grow and give. I just say a good practice for your listeners is to write that on a post-it, a sticky, and put it on their mirror. And tomorrow morning when they get up, ask themselves, with my 1,440 purpose moments today, how am I going to grow and give today? And at the end of the day, before they go to bed, ask themselves, how did I grow and give today? At the end of about a week, if people actually do that, maybe they need a purpose partner to do that or you know, someone to share the the message with, uh, after a week, they'll have a felt sense of what uh, living and leading purposefully is really all about. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'm one of those late bloomers. I didn't really truly understand my purpose until I was about 50, unfortunately. There were elements, and, and remarkably, for 30 years, so from the age of maybe 22, 23 years old, I was contributing to my purpose. Sure. But it was, and kind of developing the gifts yep. that you talk about yep. and some of the passions, but I didn't really kind of package it into a purpose right. and a conscious purpose where I could direct my actions. Naming it's important because then we, we can measure it or practice it in ways that we couldn't if it was too broad or too vague or, or get around to it someday. The pandemic has really put this up in front of people. You know, one of my, um, Kind of funny story, but one of my colleagues, when you call him and leave a message on his phone, he says at the sound of the tone, please leave your answer to life's two eternal questions. Who are you and what do you want? <laughs> and I think the pandemic has put the who are you and what do you want question up with some robust energy because people are saying, you know, they could be sick. They could not make it. They can, they know people who aren't. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live here anymore and, uh, uh, or work here anymore or be in this relationship anymore, you know, on and on and on. Yeah. The, I, I just have a couple more questions for yeah. you, but one final thought I have on this is we are going to live a lot, lot longer. And if you're 20 years old, you know, likely you're going to work into your eighties. Right. I have no doubt about that just because we're going to live long, long lives. And, figure it out early, yeah. right? Figure out yeah. what your purpose is, what really gets, why you get out of bed yeah. in the morning. So, you know, one of the, uh, just a quick response to that. Another book I wrote is called Work Reimagined. And the opening chapter is, it's the end of work as we know it. 
And, you know, what you talk about here from the 20s to the 80s, they're going to have to reimagine their work life over and over and the value they bring or want to bring or along the way, no matter who they are today. My father worked for the same organization for four decades, retired, got the gold watch, so to speak, metaphorically, and died two years later. And I see, I hear that happen to a lot of people today that they die psychologically. And uh, so what we're talking about here in this conversation really, Don, are life skills of the 21st century. Whether you think it's fundamental, purpose is fundamental, the life skills of uh, deciding how you add value and where you add value and how your life's going to go in the workplace is no longer an option to, to uh, postpone. So I assume that you're going to say everything that we've talked about applies to people who are in their 20s? Yes, sure. At different different levels of, of uh, awareness, self-awareness, and, and practice. We, but understanding our gifts, that, that might be a little challenging not really. when we're younger. Well, at a certain level, because we're experimenting to see what works for us, what we like and what we don't like. But when I ask people, because I do a lot of uh, work on helping people discern their gifts. And so if I had a lot of people in front of me right now and I said, how many of you have brothers and sisters? Many or most would put up their hand or kids or grandkids or whatever. I said, are your brothers and sisters gifts the same as yours? Loud laughter. No, no, not a when did you start to notice? Oh, way back when, you know, he was out fixing lawnmowers while I was playing the violin or, you know, was reading or you. And so gifts start to, to uh, evolve. You have young kids, you start to look at the differences, some similarities, but the differences in gifts in the same household. We can know these things. and We can get feedback on at least starting to work with those uh, early in life. Just a f- final comment on that is there is nothing, no rule that says your your purpose cannot evolve, right? I mean, I, I mean as I think about my life, it's, it's evolved. I, I, I've been thinking about it for the last 15 or 20 years, and now I kind of settled on it for this period of my life. But I, I would imagine that, that, that we should give ourselves that permission. Yeah, it goes through like maturity. It goes through stages. And the first stage is um, it's about me. It's, you know, figuring out who I am and how I fit, what do, who I, what do I want. Secondly, it's about us. And some people and some leaders and some politicians don't get there because they're narcissists all the way along. And then the third level, so it's about me, it's about us. And then the third level is about all of us. That's the level that, that Man's Search for Meaning was at. This has been a great conversation. Thank you, Richard, for your time. And thank you for being a genius. Thank you for listening to 12 Geniuses. In our next episode, Dr. Mitchell Cousy joins the show. Have you ever had a toxic leader? Someone lacking self-awareness who might behave maliciously? I've had one of those leaders and you might have too. Dr. Cousy is going to share how you can survive your toxic leader while keeping your job, your dignity, and your mind. That episode will be released March 22nd, 2022. Thank you to Jonathan J. Tony and the rest of the production team at GL Pro in London. If you love this podcast, please let us know by subscribing and leaving us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. To subscribe to 12 Geniuses, please go to 12geniuses.com. Thanks for listening and thank you for being a genius.